0: The Tower, Episode 40, Where Nightmares Began. On today's episode, 40 years plus of the New Teen Titans, some recent comic magazine purchases featuring the Titans, and a look at the first three episodes of Season 3 of the Titans TV Show. All this and a little more on today's episode of The Tower. Hey everyone, this is your host, Peter. Welcome back to The Tower. If this is your first episode listening to this particular podcast, because, you know, it's been eight months since the last episode, The Tower is a podcast devoted to the Wolfman Perez era of the New Teen Titans. And everything else Titans related. So it is a focus on volume one of the New Teen Titans. I got up to issue number nine, and there are some other various tangents along the way current Titans comics, the Titans TV show, taking a look at the development of the Omega Men. Uh, It is a podcast devoted to the New Teen Titans, but also to Marv Wolfman, George Perez, to spinoffs. So uh, I'm enjoying taking a kind of chronological look of not only the New Teen Titans, but the characters themselves. Uh, Sometimes they spin off into backup stories or guest stars in other comics ...within the DC Universe at that time in 1980. So, this podcast is primarily focused on New Teen Titans... ...but then it's tendrils spread out all over the place. Forty years! Forty-year anniversary! DC Comics presents issue number 26... ...featuring the 16-page preview and first appearance... ...of the New Teen Titans hit stands in July of 1980. So, yes... Technically, they are 41 years old as of 2021, but this is episode 40, right? I got to keep that connection. And since I meant uh, for this episode to drop last year, I'm going to stick with that nice round, round number, right? 40th anniversary. So New Teen Titans 40th anniversary, New Teen Titans issue one, hit stands August 14th of 1980. Uh, that's according to the 16 page preview that had a little blurb that was heralding the new title. Uh, that also means the Silver Age Teen Titans, in their first appearance in Brave and the Bold, they are going on 56 to 57 years. So, what did DC Comics do to celebrate the 40th anniversary of the new Teen Titans? They put out a tweet. <laughs> Um, Honestly, I don't remember if they did anything else, if at all. But Back Issue Magazine certainly celebrated the Titans' 40th anniversary. In October of 2020, Tomorrow's Publishing released Back Issue 122, all about the 40th anniversary of the new Teen Titans. Back Issue is the only magazine that I buy consistently, if you grew up reading comics in the Bronze Age, the 70s, the 80s, you absolutely need to be reading Back Issue, edited by Michael Yuri. It is fantastic. I love their themed ep- uh, issues. Uh, tons of articles, untold stories, artwork that you haven't seen before. It's really great. So Back Issue 122 has articles such as An Introduction by Marv Wolfman, The 40 Greatest Moments of the New Teen Titans, where number one comes as a surprise. Titans in other media, including cartoons, live action, movies, such as the Teen Titans cartoon, Teen Titans Go, the Titans TV show, Cyborg appearing in movies and TV. There's a Perez and Titans art gallery, articles on Raven, Starfire, and The Protector, An article on George Perez's retirement from comics with comments from other creators, all under an unused George Perez New Teen Titans cover that I had never seen before. It's from 1981, courtesy of Andy Mangels. The cover image was used for a flyer for the Heroes Convention for, you know, Heroes Aren't Hard to Find, the store in North Carolina. So that flyer was for 1984, where Perez was a guest. But the back issue cover has all-new color and a cover design by Michael Cronenberg, so it's really great. It's such a cool issue that when DCBS put up that particular issue for a second solicitation, I got a second copy. So if you're a New Teen Titans fan, you have to have it. Back issue 122, go get it. I've touched on how I got into the New Teen Titans in some of the earliest episodes of this podcast, so you can go back and listen to those. I started with issue 28, uh, well after two years after they first appeared, uh, but it didn't take me long to become a lifelong reader of this old property and this old corner of the DC Universe. So you can go back to episode one of The Tower and hear my thoughts and my breakdown of that 16-page preview. In DC Comics Presents issue twenty-six, in a story entitled "Where Nightmares Begin," that's where I got the title for uh, this this podcast. It's been a tricky franchise for DC over these four decades. New Teen Titans Volume One dominated much of the eighties and some of the nineties, but since then, not so much. With only like a handful of pretty good runs here and there. Uh, both the original Teen Titans cartoon and the uh, Jeff Johns, Mike McCone Teen Titans series hit in July of 2003. So that was kind of like a resurgence for, for the property because they were both very successful. The cartoon obviously was successful, right? The cartoon would garner a huge following and now you know we have teen titans go and and some movies so that certainly helped but then also in the comics you know with jeff johns writing that teen titan series for a long while um the characters that they used that was that was a hmm I don't want to say, it's it wasn't a flagship title for DC, but DC was definitely in a resurgence by 2003. So w- when you have titles like Teen Titans and JSA, um, probably, I want to say maybe Superman, Batman at that time, but th- there was like a handful of titles that were like must-reads. So it helped to push the Titans forward, but still, sales-wise, popularity-wise, there, nothing has captured what went on in the 80s. And certainly comic book wise, it's been touch and go uh since, you know, since 2011, since the, the new 52 when DC restarted. And the title and the franchise has been a constant restart since that, you know, either because DC was getting an entire reboot or because a title didn't hit, you know, whether it was because of the roster The creative team, the direction, the characters weren't characters that readers wanted to read within a Titans book. Characters were always getting messed with, right? Donna's ongoing origin problem, Wally West's place within the DC universe, Nightwing wasn't Nightwing there for a while. So it's a book that that really flounders. I keep buying it, I keep meaning to read it all and collect it all. Um, 40 years is certainly a long legacy, but it's not a consistent 40 years. Now, currently we have one Titans book out, Teen Titans Academy. I'm not up to date on that, so I can't speak to how well that's doing. And that's having connections with the current Suicide Squad as well. There is another Titans book that will be coming out shortly called uh, Titans United, due out in September. It's a seven-issue miniseries. And the lineup of characters within that miniseries matches the characters on the TV show. So they're trying to create some synergy there. We also have the Titans featured in a few of DC's Young Adults line, where we had uh, a book on Raven, a book on Beast Boy, and then Beast Boy Loves Raven, etc. Not to mention, we have a pretty good Nightwing series right now, so yay for that. And then there's Deathstroke, Inc., which is coming out in September. So, 40 years with about that much worth of content out there. So, a lot to cover and a lot to continue here on the Tower. I'm looking forward to that. As I said, my first issue was issue 28. What was your first issue? Let me know. The Teen Titans, a quintet of triumphant teenage talent. Robin, boy wonder with a multitude of glorious gadgets. Cyborg, a mighty mixture of machine and man. Raven, a mystical magician. Beast Boy, the missing link between man and beast. Uh... And Starfire, fast and strong alien warrior princess. A fearless five, some fighting crime in their prime. They are the Teen Titans. I mentioned in the intro that I purchased some comic trade magazines featuring the new Teen Titans within the last, oh, I don't know, six, seven months. Um, The first one actually was sent to me by George Corey. George is the author of Komoda, The Miracle Man Companion, also the extraordinary works of Alan Moore, Image Comics, Road to Independence, and one of my favorite uh, outputs from Tomorrow's Publishing, Comic Book Fever, a celebration of comics between 1976 and 1986. So George asked if I had Comics Journal number 79 from 1983, which I didn't, featuring the first of a two-part interview with Marv Wolfman and George Perez, all under a cover of The Titans at a Picnic by Scott Hampton of all artists. So I've had Comics Journal 80 for a long time, and that has the second part, but it certainly was a treat to finally get this first part, and uh, George helped me to fill in one of the many gaps that I have when it comes to Titans. Um, So yeah, huge thank you for that. From 1984, this was an eBay find, Comics Collector, the spring 1984 edition, They, uh, let's see, this Comics Collector is from Krauss Publications. There were only 10 issues. I had this as a kid, but I read it so much, I I destroyed it, you know? And then I never could find a copy of it again. And I had this, like, small memory in my brain of visiting a strip mall in Reading, Pennsylvania, and uh, a convenience store within, like, a strip mall. And... In the back were magazines and comics, and I remember seeing this magazine. I'm pretty sure this is where I got it, and asking my parents or my mom to get it. It had it has the Titans on the cover, and then it has a blurb, uh, which features, after more than four decades, there's that anniversary again, Robin becomes Nightwing. So looking up when this hit, if we're talking spring of 1984, and when Tales of the Teen Titans issue forty-four hit, I think I think this might be the first time that I saw Nightwing on a page. So either I got the third part of the Junior Judas contract first, or I got this magazine first. I'm not sure, but there is an image of Nightwing in the article, and it's just you know it's reclaiming something that I had as had as a kid that helped me enjoy the titans and uh, i found it on ebay along with three other issues Kraus um, publications they are the ones who for a long time uh, put out comics buyer's guide so it's a magazine you know it's got a lot of in-depth articles it's got a lot of cool stuff and Along with like Amazing Heroes and Comics Journal of that era and some other things. I I just, I have to have these because I want to know everything, even if it's the same information that, quite frankly, I'm still hearing today when I listen to modern interviews with like Marv Wolfman and they're still asking the same questions and blah, blah, blah. blah. But anyway, uh, it's good to have it from that time, you know, when when everybody was young and, and. All of that memory was fresh in their minds. So this was a fantastic find, and I'm so glad I got it. And then lastly, also on eBay, uh, I had never seen this before, Fan Connection Issue 1 by Milky Way Graphics. Probably the only issue that they put out. So it's uh, an article on New Teen Titans and X-Men on their crossover. The cover is by Steve Irwin and Jay Bauer, and I'm assuming this is the same Steve Irwin who is a comic book artist. In fact, uh, Steve drew issues of Vigilante and a long run on Checkmate, a few issues on New Teen Titans, uh, and then started with Marv Wolfman, the Deathstroke the Terminator series in the 90s. So uh, this was kind of a cool find, The costumes on the cover don't exactly reflect how the characters looked within that crossover because this is, as I said, from 1986. So you have Nightwing, which he wasn't in the crossover. He was Robin at the time. You have Jericho, who wasn't in the crossover. You have Rachel Summers. You have uh, Storm, but she's in her Mohawk look. uh, Rogue, Shadowcat all versions that weren't in the crossover. So um, we're looking at the X-Men right around issues, what, I guess it would be around like 210 or so. This magazine is comic book size. I haven't read the article yet, but it was another great find. Um, So as I said, I have other things. I have like the one or two of the amazing heroes that the Titans feature on. But uh, I'm always looking for more, so if I find any others, I will let you know. And finally... Uh, A little segment on The Titans Season 3, Episodes 1 through 3, now on HBO Max. I'm glad they dropped three episodes right away. They absolutely needed to, (laughs) I feel. It's still dark. It's still angsty. Characters are still swearing all over the place. Now with more Gotham City more deaths, and more frustrating superhero TV watching. I won't be doing an episode-by-episode episode breakdown of this show per podcast. I'm going to group them up. I just can't. If you listen to the podcast podcasts that I did on Season 1 and Season 2, you know my thoughts. You know that I'm really struggling with this show, even though I'm a big Titans fan. So I'm going to do reviews of chunks. Just like they released the first three, I'm going to cover the first three here, and then I'm going to wait for another three. In fact, by the time you're hearing this, one episode um, has already come out, which I haven't seen yet. In brief, the Titans are in Gotham now after the insanely fast development that Jason Todd has been killed at the hands of the Joker. So think of... The Death in the Family storyline from 1988, but instead of four issues and a whole bunch of consequences, we get like two scenes, and that's it. So then next, we kind of run through both A Lonely Place of Dying and Start Under the Hood, both of those storylines, as a new villain appears almost immediately, entitled Red Hood killing people and causing chaos in the wake of Batman retiring, quote-unquote retiring. So Dick and the Titans are working with wheelchair-bound Barbara Gordon on the case. Uh, Barbara Gordon and the police, the Gotham police, in turn are working with Jonathan Crane, the Scarecrow, as a profiler, very Silence of the Lambs-like, Hannibal Lecter, etc., although not as good as an actor, um, Dick eventually finds out the ident- the identity of the new Red Hood, things come to a head at the end of episode three, when the Red Hood causes the death of one of the Titans. Um, Tim Drake has been introduced, although we didn't get to see much more of him in these three episodes, so that's like a brief synopsis of everything that uh, went on in these three episodes. So, a little bit more. Let me dig in (laughs) into the guts of uh, this TV show. My biggest thought is, what the heck? What kind of fast track are these writers on that they feel like they need to burn through those 40 years of Titans history just to get us to, I don't know, to, to wherever it is they want to get us to? This is a real problem for me for this show. It's like all they want to do is they want to jump from Big Titan story to Big Titan story and progress the characters in terms of like their secret hero, superhero identity but not necessarily in their in in themselves. And I don't understand where the what the target is then, you know? I mean, we went from the formation of the Titans, the first Trigon story, we got that little interlude with the Doom Patrol, okay, that's cool, and then all of a sudden, boom, we went all the way to the Judas Contract. I mean, we skipped Brother Blood, and we skipped Blackfire, even though that's coming up. Um, we skipped, you know, some some major storylines, or not major storylines, but just things that helped the characters evolve and grow and become a team and become a successful property, Right. And then from the Judas contract, we went right into all of this. The death in the family, a lonely place of dying, under the hood. And it's like, I'm supposed to care and feel sorry for what's happened to Jason Todd and and feel like there's some kind of conflict now that he's Red Hood when he was barely Robin in this universe. If you think of the timeline, Dick stops being Robin in season one, a new Robin is form, is found almost immediately, and he's introduced to Jason Todd. And then we see him in season one and season two, and, and it's not like it really did all that much because we don't even know if Batman's really doing all that much. And now all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he's Red Hood, he's got plans and machinations and firing machine guns and... Uh, it's it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You have changeling still only becoming a tiger, even though he is shown finally this season looking at other animals, researching other animals. So maybe we'll see something else. We have hawk and dove still arguing about their relationship, still wondering if they should or shouldn't be should or shouldn't be vigilantes. All of it just feels like characters are just delivering dialogue and cliches, and but not fully investing in who they are and why they are making these choices. And they barely are acting like superheroes, so it's so frustrating. I really feel like it's a show where the writers and directors are saying, okay, the point of this scene is to get to the next scene. It's, it's like, okay, you, you're here, but, but I need you here. So we're going to do this to get you there. But it's not really, but don't worry so much about it because what I really care about is the next scene. Then you get to the next scene. It's like, okay, now I really want to get you here. And it's, when they do stop to have scenes, it's very angsty. It's very confrontational. Everyone talks, but they don't listen. And and yet they don't talk, you know? These aren't good people. They aren't fun to watch. I don't know why they are friends. I wouldn't be friends with them, and I certainly wouldn't trust them. So, people used to give Jeff Johns a lot of heat for being overly violent or excessively dark, and that was at a time when I feel what they really were arguing against is some of the decisions DC was making, whether it was Jeff Johns, DC, Dan DiDio, during that period of time that I talked about earlier, you know, those early 2000s, mid-2000s. But there was a lot of world building going on, and there was a lot of legacy, and legacy restoration. I mean, Johns was bringing back characters left and right in ways that made them popular again. I mean, think of Hawkman, you know? And there was like a caretaking going on. Um, He wrote Stars and Stripes right? Like, you can't read Stars and Stripe and say it's, it's violent and dark. And he built up the entire Green Lantern franchise and created one of their most successful events with Blackest Night. So what, what I feel like people were reacting to were small moments within a larger tapestry. The Titans TV show is like the exact opposite. I can totally get on board if people want to call this show aggressive and dark because it is. The tapestry is everything that people were criticizing Johns for before. But then we get small moments that I think that's what fandom is kind of like relating to. Oh, look, Starfire's got a new look. Or she's in normal street clothes that matches something from the comic. But that's small. It doesn't mean anything, you know. Or the one time Changeling changed into something other than a tiger. So then everybody got excited. Raven, oh, she has a hood on her head like she does in the comics this season. Ooh, let's get excited. Those are small moments. The larger tapestry, I I, I just don't, I, I can't fathom why they feel this is the tone they wanted to go with this show. This is really where I know that I'm from a different mindset when it comes to my fandom with the new Teen Titans, you know? I don't watch for just these little surface moments um, you know the few times that the characters actually get into costumes, so that it can appeal to cosplayers. You know, like that's why they love the Titans TV show because oh look, I can be I can be that Nightwing. Boy, he's he's barely Nightwing. You know, um, it's just like when I hear other podcasts laying down how much they they love the show and they gush about it, and I I'm listening, going, but you're not talking about anything. You're not talking about character growth. You're not talking about how the show is shot. Uh, You're not talking about this amazing acting. You know, I, I just, I really don't get it. I really think people are watching a different show. Or they just are layering what they think they are seeing and what they're feeling on top of what's not there. Because it's not good. It's just not a good show. And I hate the look of Gotham. It looks awful with the budget. You can tell it's shot in Vancouver. You can tell it's shot in Canada. If you watch, like I'm watching Smallville, and you watch the CW superhero shows, and you watch Battlestar Galactica, it's, it's all the same thing. It's got this weird look to it. And it's not Gotham City. Um, the, the actors on the show... On Twitter, they put out this video of the actors reading dialogue from the first New Teen Titans trade from, you know, those stories 40 years ago. And I just wanted to ask them, like, how can you read any of that and see what's going on and think that your show matches up? Because even in those early stories, while there was a lot of angst and there was a lot of confrontation between the characters, I get it. I, I see where, where Johns is pulling all this stuff from. The sense of family and the sense of wanting to get away from their mentors was so strong. And here we are, season three, smack in the middle of Gotham and smack in the middle of major Batman stories that had some connections to the Titans. So, Okay, here's a few other points, episode by episode. Uh, Episode number one, Barbara Gordon. It's been three months since the end of season two. You know, again, going back to that timeline of how long has Jason Todd really been Robin? Um, I think we're getting a fairly strong hint that Scarecrow is probably behind all this. It comes up in one of the episodes that he's probably not working alone. The reason I think it's Scarecrow is because Jason suddenly is, like, sucking down an inhaler full of something. You know, I don't know if it's venom or scarecrow toxin or a mix or whatever. Um, there's a part where uh, I half-wondered, given the nature of the show and what they're doing with Bruce Wayne, if he wasn't involved, if Batman wasn't involved. Like, as, as if this was a way to give him an excuse to kill the Joker or to have a Robin that would do the things that Batman, is you know, isn't supposed to do. Batman wanted to push Dick Grayson one way, Dick Grayson went the other way, so now he's pushing Jason Todd into that path. Apparently the Titans are celebrities right now, not that we've seen them do all that much. Barbara Gordon is the new commissioner of Gotham. Nightwing's costume, I don't know, especially the torso feels very bulky, just very bulky. I'm not necessarily a fan of the electric screama sticks, they almost feel a little bit of a cheat, but it's a good visual for um, TV. I just think it's bad Dick Grayson methodology. Um, we get to see some other Robins. Someone tried to hack into the Batman files, and we saw people like Carrie Kelly, Daxton Chill, Stephanie Brown, Duke Thomas. More Robins in the waiting, more soldiers in the in the waiting. Barbara had a, a, a pretty good line where she said, you know, Batman calls all of this a war so he can justify losing soldiers. And then episode one ends with Bruce Wayne saying that he has killed the the Joker uh, because of what he did to Jason Todd. Wow. Okay. Uh, Episode two here, again, I don't know what the time frame is, but suddenly Bruce Wayne, even in episode one, he's already investigating several people who have died, and it all leads back to Red Hood. So it's like, okay, that was fast. Uh, we get a council meeting meeting of criminals where the Red Hood interrupts. That's just like Under the Hood. And he says, I retired the Batman. So if this was Jason or someone working with Jason, maybe the way they think they retired Batman is by getting him to kill the Joker, going against his... Um, morals of killing people, but we already saw in, like, Titan Season 1 that Batman was getting uh, more and more aggressive before Jason Todd even showed up. Um, Something's going on with Corey; She's having visions. Uh, Apparently that means Blackfire has been captured. Even though the last time we saw Blackfire at the end of Season 2, she was totally fine. So I guess we'll learn what happened there. Hank shows up dove shows up there is this kind of fun moment when hank shows up in gotham where Corey is just like she's so excited that he's there and it almost feels like the cartoon starfire where she kind of like touches him and she claps and she's like yay hawk is here so that was kind of fun um i do not like the use of pop music over fights i hate it in the marvel universe i hate it here it's just used too much within the superhero universe now and um uh, superhero movie universe. Uh, and it's just getting to be... It's getting to be, again, that thing where it's like, I'm going to hook the audience because this song will make them laugh or it'll, it'll mean something to them, but does it really mean anything to the larger um, the larger show? Episode 2 is when we get Nightwing versus Red Hood. He, he finds out that it is Jason. There's just no way... This character has this much experience, he's a kid, he looks like a kid, he acts like a kid. And I ultimately wanted to know, Did anyone was anyone surprised that it was Jason? I'm talking non-comic book fans watching the show. Or if they are comic book fans, the ones that don't know that he is Jason Todd. Because it was all over pro- promotional material, but... Does the show make that character um, important enough that when you get the revelation, you're like, Oh my god, it's Jason. I don't know. I, I can't speak of that because I just have too much knowledge. And then episode three, entitled Hank and Dove, uh, Hank wants to bring Jason down really aggressively for all of the killing, as if Hawk and Dove themselves haven't been just as brutal. So Hank goes off to find Jason by himself, which is dumb because these characters don't talk to each other, and winds up getting a bomb uh, attached to his chest. We get a lot of talk of fear. Again, that's what's steering me towards Scarecrow. And by the end of the episode, Jason gets Dove to detonate the bomb on Hank early through, through this little trickery thing. So, okay, he's blown up. I can see where this is going to mess people up and make them even more angsty because Dove will feel like she killed Hank. Superboy will feel like he wasn't fast enough to create uh, a device that would depower the bomb. Dick will punish himself because he had a conversation with Hank uh, where he said, Look, if I die, don't let Jason be the thing that brings down the Titan. So, of course... Dick is going to go into his head like he does every season and probably, you know, disband the Titans again and become aggressive again. And it's just like the same beats all over and uh, all over and all over. Now, while this could so so Hank gets blown up, there's no more Hawk or is there, right? Like on one hand, this could be a setup for a new female version of Hawk like like in the comics. But I also could think of many ways that he could have survived this explosion. First of all, Crypto was there with him, so maybe Crypto saved him. Um, Superboy rushes in and looks at Hank, or looks at where he was, but we don't really see anything. So, Um, maybe Hank ripped it out himself right before the seconds ticked down, and and use crypto to fly away. I mean, there are ways out of this. So even though we don't see a body, and it was a, a, a heavy moment here at the end of this episode, I could see them bringing Hank back. But who knows? Maybe he is really dead. Uh, let me know what you think of this series. Um, I know people are just watching it to just kind of watch it. So am I. I, I mean, I'm just watching it to, watch it to watch it and talk about it. I'm not trying to force myself to love it. Um, I loved Under the Hood. I thought that that storyline was really good, but a lot of it is because years had passed, and when they de- when they finally decided to bring Jason Todd back, tease him in Hush, bringing back in Under the Hood, the psychological part of it was fantastic, and the writing was really good, and the artwork. So it was, it was Judd Winnick and Doug Monkey, I think. Um, this version of it is a tantrum. It's a tantrum, it's a psychotic outburst. No one comes across well. There's very little investment in who they are. There's a lot of talk of the Titans being a family, but I don't see it. Um and it's really frustrating to not like this version of Dick Grayson because he's really bad at his job. So, I don't know. I feel like this Titan show continues to be a mess. I really want them to get into the Blackfire stuff because I I'm hoping they get into some sci-fi but if they just keep her on earth and it becomes I don't know just I don't know it's all going to be frustrating it's all going to be disappointing I feel so there you go <laughs> that's my uh you know continuing update on the Titans TV show let me know what you think peter at the dailyrios.com go follow the twitter peter j rios Go to the website, The Daily Rios to leave a comment. By the way, do a search on your favorite podcatcher for The Daily Rios. Um, both The Daily Rios and The Tower should pop up. If they don't, let me know what platform you're using. Maybe I need to add the feeds to that platform. And also, by the way way, July 29th of this year, July 29th, 2021, was the 12th anniversary of The Tower podcast. 40 episodes in 12 years. Woo. There's a there's a record. All right, this has been the Tower episode 40 for Friday, August 20th. Talk to you soon.